That is classic. This, the, this has been a good movie, a good series to go through. And, you know, one thing, even looking at that, I didn't notice the first time I had seen it was, in Dad's head, who's ruling? Who's ruling? And yeah, the emotion that's ruling in Dad's head is anger. And I thought, man, how, how classic is that? Because anger, this is, this is our last one that we're, we're going through with the, the uh, inside out for out the movies. Next week, we jump into Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. We're going to talk about Rogue Nation. I don't know where you think I could possibly go with that. But um, look up Rogue Nation sometime. Google it. Actually, it has a definition for a term. It's interesting, and I think we'll build our message around that. And then the week after that, we're doing our 80s night. Week after that, we're into Fantastic Four, and then we're done. We're done with the summer. It's crazy. It blows my mind just a little bit. But I've really enjoyed doing the emotions. I've really enjoyed being a part of hearing it. And I just need some, uh, some candy to get off my desk here. And so if somebody do me a favor and tell me the five emotions that there is, um, four of them plus anger. Mallory, I see your hand up back there. Go ahead. Joy and sadness. What would you like, Sour Patch Kids or Nerds? Sour Patch. Can I slide them on the floor and make it look really cool all the way back there? Oh, yeah. Um, so that, that's that one. Now, the crazy thing is, I was thinking about it yesterday. Um, I got, uh, got to go out. Maylee's birthday was yesterday. Uh, she turned seven. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things where it was a girls-only party, so boys got kicked out of the house. And I didn't know what to go do, so we went and saw actually the very first movie that we started off with, with At The Movies. Anybody know what that one was? Kim, you're not allowed to tell, because you went with me. <laughs> Anybody remember the first? It was back in May. It was the last weekend of May. That's how long it's been. Ben, what was it? It was not Avengers. Avengers was the second week. So I'll give you a box of candy for that, because you remember, okay? Just for you, because I've got to get all this candy off my desk anyway. So, so we're, I can't see. Is that Olivia? Yes, Olivia. It was not Minions. That was another movie we did, so I'll give you a box of candy, all right? If you just name movies, I'll give you a box of candy until they run out, or we get Tomorrowland. Oh, what? What was that? Tomorrowland. Yes, Tomorrowland was it. Correct. Good job. Uh, what would you like? Milk does. Here you go. Be careful. The dentist will not like me for giving that to you. Um, so, Ben, you want to come up and just pick one? Olivia, you want to come up and get one? Then I'll give another one out later. You good? What, which one do you want? M&M's? Okay. Coming your way. They don't slide as well. What would you like? Nerds. Don't make a mess back there because I know where you're sitting at and I have to vacuum. (laughs) Anger. Last night we actually started off and they played the wrong video. And it was fear from last week. You know what happened to me when I got up here? I got to work on my anger. I got to work on it. You know, because anger is something we all deal with. Anger is something that we all um, get to experience sometimes like dad in the flick. It's in constant control. Sometimes it's just one that pops up that overcomes everything else because we don't know how, how else to react. And anger is one of those things that, man, I don't know about you, but I, I, have a, I have a hard time with it. I struggle with it. Last night was just a, a hard night overall, and I was actually getting frustrated and angry during it all because there was no Kleenex in here, and my nose started running, and I didn't know what to do. Because you can't do the little kid snot wipe. You know, you can't do that. So instead, I just used my fingers and wiped on the back of my pants. Because there was nothing else. I, and that goes back to disgust from a couple of weeks ago. But um, 
You know, it was, it was one of those things I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I was getting frustrated, and there was one box of Kleenex, and it was sitting over in that back corner. I'm like, can somebody not see that I'm wiping snot on my pants right now? And bring me one of those, please. That would be awesome. So I ran to the Walgreens this morning, grabbed a couple of extra boxes, and we're all set. But, you know, even through it, I had like this tick in my throat, and I kept coughing. And I was like, okay, I'm just getting frustrated, God. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be smooth and easy, and there's visitors here, and they're probably like, what's wrong with this guy, and why is he wiping snot on his pants? And, and uh, you know, I was... I was just like to the point where I had to go turn down the air conditioning a little bit and, and make sure that uh, I wasn't just going to burst into flames like he does in anger, you know, when he just shoves it on and the flame comes up. And, and, and that's how I felt last night. And I got to thinking, you know, maybe God's trying to teach me while I'm teaching. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take the lesson. I'll try to apply it as best I can. But what we need to do, I think, before we can even apply it is figure out what anger is. The definition of anger, a strong feeling of being upset, or annoyed because of something wrong or something bad. The feeling that makes someone want to hurt people or to shout or do something of the sort. The feeling of being angry, a strong feeling of displeasure. There's words that we like to use instead of saying that I'm angry. They found that definition. It says things like annoyance, displeasure, irritation, frustrated, just in an unpleasant way. Why do we not want to use the word angry and rather use those other words to describe it? Well, because angry sounds... Angry, exactly. It sounds angry. It sounds like, oh, you don't want to be angry. I'm okay with being irritated. If I'm driving on the road, I don't want to be angry. I can be irritated with the person that just cut me off or the person that's driving too slow in the wrong lane or whatever it might be. I can, but if I'm angry, then I've lost control. It's like there's this ability to control it as long as I'm not considered angry. And the question, I guess, is, is, is it okay to be angry? Because we have a tendency to think that it's not okay to be angry. But God had anger, didn't he? We see numbers of times in scriptures where God is angry. We see Jesus get angry. So is it okay for us to be angry? Well, I think it is, but the thing is, I think we have to define even a little bit more specifically than what the world's definition of anger is to what actual anger is in God's perspective. See, first you have God's anger or divine anger, and that God's anger is God's anger against that which is evil. And he knows what's evil. He knows what's good, and he knows what's evil. Then you have righteous human anger. And that righteous human anger is anger that we have that's like God's, where we have a negative response to what we accurately understand. And I emphasize accurately understand what is evil. Because sometimes we can misunderstand what is evil and have a problem with that. And so we have God's anger, and we have righteous anger. And the next thing is, is we have sinful human anger anger. And that sinful human anger is what most of us really carry around. It's the anger where we get frustrated because our perceptions are wrong. We get frustrated because our way is being impeded on. Uh, We get angry because we assume other people's motives. We get angry because our judgments are off. You know, as I, I looked at this and I thought, you know, what's really crazy is how we deal with this sometimes. How many of you have ever had an argument with a person and that person wasn't there? Has anybody walked through a full argument with another person and they're not even there to defend themselves? You're putting words in there. You know what it always starts out with for me? A text message. 
Because you, you can't judge what they're saying in a text message or if they, unless they put one of those silly little emoticon face things on there. And even then, you're like, is that sarcastic or is that some sort of sass towards me? And you start kind of battling out in your head. And before you ever send the next text back, you're having like this full conversation with them. Oh, well, so they mean this? Oh, and then you start taking it personally. And when you start taking it personally, you start thinking in your head. And there's this huge fight that blows up, and they have no idea what's going on. And the next time you come face to face with them, you are angry, and they're like, what did I do? You know, have you ever been in that spot before? Isn't that the way it happens so often for us that our judgments are off and we, we miss our response because we get ourselves in the way? See, a lot of times I think that some anger, uh, people think we have to control it. Like it's some sort of behavior that we have to do. And even if you look at anger management or any of those kind of things in, in the, the secular world, if you want to eliminate God from it, they're going to say, well, you need to, to work on your behavior. You need to learn how to control that. But I think it goes so much deeper than that. It goes so much deeper than just a behavior. It actually becomes a heart issue. And it actually is a heart issue. It doesn't even become a heart issue. That's where it starts at. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. As a matter of fact, I was looking at all these different things that I seriously probably could have done like an eight-week series on anger and anger management. There's so much the Bible has to say about anger and how we deal with it and how we allow it to, to rule or how we, we do have the ability to control it. And so I took all this stuff and said, how am I going to cram all of these things into a two-hour sermon on a Sunday morning? And I thought to myself, just, you know, I just want to see if you're listening, that's all, just want to make sure. But um, what we need to do is we need to dig in just a little bit. We kind of need to see the foundation of this, this heart issue. And as we see this foundation of this heart issue, we'll jump to the practical side of it all. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 is where Jesus is being attempted to be trapped by the Pharisees. We see that often, but this is where the foundation will come to. And then we'll jump over to the book of James to kind of wrap everything up, because that's really where the practical part of this all comes in. So if you get over there to uh, Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to give you just kind of a quick brief overview. Um, It's also found in Mark chapter 7, this account. But what happens is the disciples uh, see Jesus and his, um, sorry, the Pharisees see Jesus and the disciples eating with their hands before washing them. And they get this whole idea of this, this behavior that has to take place. You have to do these things in order to control this. And they get on Jesus about it. And Jesus comes back at them and says, do you understand what you're saying? That you're saying what we do on the outside matters, but really what it is is about what's in the heart. And he jumps out in verse 7 with this. He says, you hypocrites. Great way to approach people. That's what I found. It, it's a good way to not pe- make people angry. You know that, that whole thing about, about anger and stuff like that? You hypocrites. Did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips? basically having this behavior on the outside, but their hearts, what's inside is far from me. So what the people see is what we think is going on, but really on the inside, it is not because God sees what's on the inside. He says, in vain do they worship me. In vain means lacking substance, not having anything behind it. Let's just stop just for a second right here as Isaiah is talking about this with the Pharisees. How often do we fall into that category? How often do we become the hypocrites? That we come and we honor Jesus with our lips, but we fail to really bring our hearts closer to him. 
that we make it all look good on the outside and we'll come and we'll worship and we'll raise our hands and we'll do whatever it takes to make everybody else think we got it all together. But God's looking at our hearts and he says, in vain, you're worshiping me. There's no substance behind that. Those are just words. And this is a teach doctrine as the commandments of men. And they think that it came from them and not from God. And he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. Hear and understand. Not just hear it, but understand it. Put it into practice. Take this and check it and make sure this is it. Don't just hear it, but do it. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him saying, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? I'm glad you guys laughed, because when I saw that, I'm like, Are you kidding me? He started out with, You hypocrites! That probably opened the door for everything else to be offensive. And he said, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, do you really not understand what I'm trying to say here? I mean, there's got to be a little bit of sass there. Do you not get it? And Peter It's like, uh, and so Jesus says this. He says, let's start from the very beginning, okay? Let's let's make it real simple for you, Peter. And I'm not sure if there was a little bit of anger behind what he was doing, but it was righteous anger because Jesus didn't sin. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Have you not seen that, Peter, in your entire life? Have you not understood that when you eat something, it's going to go into your stomach and somehow it's going to come out? And when you drink something, it's going to go into your stomach, and somehow it's going to come out. Do you got that part, Peter? It's like Vince Lombardi, when he used to start spring football. He would go before all these guys who were NFL football players. They've been playing football for most of their lives, if not all of it. And we'd hold up a football, and you know what he'd say? This is a football. That's how we started out. Get back to the basics. So Jesus goes right down to the basics. He's laying out the basics there, and he says, but what comes out of the mouth, it proceeds from where? The heart. It proceeds from the heart. This is not an exterior behavioral issue that we've got here. It's a heart issue. This is what defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and Mark 7 adds pride. In all of those things that I just read to you, it says these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. Jesus lays it out as a heart issue. And he's tying everything into this. And he's playing it all out to say, we have to work on the inside and not on the outside. And how is that even possible? And repeatedly, Jesus is teaching, I want you to hear this. This is a heart issue. It's not about how we are perceived by everybody else, but how we are perceived by God, and he sees us from the inside. You know, as we see each one of those things, each one of those things as we lay it out, going back to verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, pride. You could throw anger in there, because each one of those things generally stem from some sort of anger, don't they? The evil thoughts the murder, the adultery, the sexual immorality, the theft, the false witness, the slander, and pride issues. 
Now, if I were to say, let's wrap a big bow around that whole thing and make it one big package, what would that package be titled? My guess is it would be titled Selfish Thoughts. Selfishness. Because each one of those things is about me. And that's the hard issue when it really boils down to it. And we see this, we, we see it all play out, and Jesus taught about it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. But there's one guy, well, actually, there's many guys, but there's one guy we're going to look at today that was listening and paying attention and hearing what Jesus had to say, and he wrote a letter to a church to make it practical, to say this is what it's supposed to look like. Not a behavior issue, but a heart issue. This is how the heart shows on the outside. This is how our faith that we say we have works in hands with the works that we're supposed to do. This is us not showing favoritism. This is us going and understanding what trials are as they shape us because we're supposed to consider it pure joy. This guy who is writing this stuff was actually the brother of Jesus. And I'm not sure about you, but it would take a lot of time for my brother to convince me that he's the son of God. More than anybody else. Because I grew up with the kid. Okay, I would understand him better than anybody else. And it would take a long time for that. You know what else it would take a long time for? It's for James to not only call himself, or I'm sorry, the brother of the, of the son of God, but he also puts himself even in a lower position. Because does anybody know he calls himself in the first book? Or I'm sorry, the first chapter of the book of James? First verse? A slave or a bondservant? He's calling anybody in here. I mean, you kind of wish that your brother or sister would want to be your slave. But he is openly calling it, saying, I am a follower of Christ to the point where I am a slave to him, and I am following him, and I have made him the Lord of my life. That is a huge thing. If anybody ever says, is Jesus really God? And he, you say, his brother thought so. And if he could convince his brother, that's good enough for me. I mean, when we really look at it, what must it have taken? And he's talking about all these things as he's laying out the practical teaching. And the funny thing is, as I look at the book of James, and James is probably one of my favorite books, and it's five chapters long, and I would suggest to you that this week, if you don't already have a Bible reading plan of some sort, read each chapter Monday through Friday. Just go one, two, three, four, five, and, and take the, the practicality that James is throwing out there, and then look maybe back, if you want to, at the three chapters that record the Sermon on the Mount, and see as Jesus teaches that James makes it practical, and how well they connect together. It's kind of crazy to look at, and the way they all tie together, and the way it's supposed to be. But James is laying it out there, and he says, the things like, hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. He says, when you are tempted, know that Jesus, that God isn't tempting you, but is, is sin that's pulling you away and, 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 uh, and it wants to entice you so you fall into that trap. And then he goes on to say, hey, don't show favoritism. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Don't just be the guy who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, but remember it and apply it and do something about it. Don't show favoritism. Go out, reach out to people. Now, if we're just a religious group of people, we're going to look at this from a behavior issue. We're going to look at this. We're going to say, well, this, this is what God wants me to do. This is the list that I have to do to please God. It's a behavior thing. It's on the outside. And, you know, we get that idea that maybe when you walked into church today, if you have kids, 
What do you tell them in the parking lot? All right, this is what you need to do. All right, game plan. Everybody circle up. I know we were fighting all the way here, and I know we're going to fight when we leave, but this is what we need to do while we're here because we all know the drill. We know the drill of what we're supposed to do. And even if you've never been to church before, even if you have nothing to do with church at all, we have these things that you're supposed to do that fall into the culture of whatever culture we're in. Whatever one it might be. This last week, we got to go uh, to an Ethiopian festival up in uh, Denver. That's why I was gone last Sunday. And we got to go up there, and we were just kind of hanging out. And their culture is completely different than ours. And yet they brought it here, and all these Ethiopians are gathered at this big park and having a good time. And they have no problem just taking your kid out of your hands. Don't have a clue who they were. Don't have any idea, but they're like, hey, phew, and they start walking. You're like, whoa, wait, 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 hang on a second. You know, that's, that's my son. What are you doing? You know, and, and they have no problem with that because they have this different cultural mentality. They're sitting around and they're doing this coffee ceremony that takes forever where they actually roast the beans and then they grind the beans by hand and then they put it in the pot and they're all sitting around eating popcorn and doing this. And you're like, what are you doing? We have things to get, come on, just, just get to the... You know, and we have that mentality because we're in a different culture, but their culture is that way. They know the way to do things. We know the way to do things because of the culture. It's all about behavior. But like in Matthew 15, it's more than a behavioral issue that James is talking about. It's not just a list of things to do. It really does boil down to the heart. And if we don't figure that out, if we only try and work on the outside and wash the outside clean, eventually we're going to get squeezed. And just like any lemon or lime or orange, it looks good on the outside, but when it gets squeezed, what's inside is what's going to come out. And so when we get squeezed, that's why we have such a problem with anger. If we don't take care of it at the heart of the issue, we have to understand some things. And things that are probably well-done statements anyway, because you you know it. When we get angry, it's going to cost us. When we let that inner anger just blow out, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in our relationships. It's going to cost us at work. It's going to cost us at at home. And if you get really angry and you start punching things, then it's going to cost even more. Fixing holes in the wall. And I know I say that kind of flippantly, but man, I had a football coach when I was in, in high school. And when we lost, and we lost a lot, he would punch all kinds of holes in his walls. You'd see go over to his house, and he'd have a picture like two feet off the bottom of the ground. He'd be like, why is that there? And it's because where he put his foot through the wall, and it was just hiding the hole. It's going, to, it's going to cost you. I remember in the middle of the halftime, we were getting beat soundly, and he put his, fa- his fist through a metal fan. Like he slammed down on it, and the whole box fan collapsed, and it was not even our school. So I don't know how that all worked out in the end. But the, the thing is, is, man, we have to learn how to control that. And it's not just a behavioral thing. It's a heart thing. It affects our health. Go Google anger and, and how it affects our health. You'll see things like stress. You'll th- see things like, like heart disease. You'll see things like heart attacks. You'll see things like strokes. You'll see all these different things that it can affect us in as we get angry. It also twists our attitude, our behaviors, and our perspectives on, on everything. Like I was even joking about with the texts up front. You know, we'll see things, and we see everything through a filter. And that's kind of what this movie's all about. It's how our emotions will change the way we remember memories and the way that we act, because it's going to put a filter on it. What filter are we wrapping around when we have anger? And how are we going to respond? So as we look at that, and we look at the fact we really need to get down to it being a heart issue and not just a behavioral issue, I want you to flip over to James chapter 4. 
James chapter 4, you'll read this on Thursday if you go through it, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a head start on it. But James chapter 4, it says this, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's a great question. What makes you guys angry? He answers, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That you're having a really hard time with what's at your heart? Is it about you or is it about God? Is it about what I want or what somebody else wants? Am I going to be submissive or am I going to be aggressive? You desire and do not have. How many fights and fits of anger and rage have been started because you didn't get something that you wanted to get? I'm not sure if you ever walked down the cereal aisle and seen that three-year-old that wanted, I don't even know what cereal it was, but there's a toy in there that he really, really wanted or she really, really wanted and they threw themselves down on the floor and they're kicking and they're screaming and they're pounding and you're like, I'm going to go to the next aisle. I'll get cereal later. You know, that, that's the, the mentality. I remember my kids have done it before and I said, all right, find me in the store because I'm leaving. You know, that was just a plain, simple fact. But I, I, we do that as three-year-olds, and guess what? It doesn't change when we're adults. We just throw fits about different things because we don't get what we want. There's a selfish battle that's going on in our hearts. What's the end result of that? He says, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. You realize the 10th commandment is, is do not covet. You know why it's that? Why it's one of the commandments that we have there? Because it creates in us all sorts of emotions that really fight against what God wants to have in our hearts. We already talked about anger, and that's the one we're really focusing on today. But isn't anger, when it really boils right down to it, saying that you owe me? You owe me. Whatever you've done to me, you owe me the respect that I'm going to take it out of you however I can get it. If it's driving down the road, you owe me to drive my way and not your way. If it's Dealing with a spouse, you owe me to do this because my way is more important than your way. Or a friend or whatever it might be. Isn't that where anger boils up at? And then you even see when it says you covet and cannot obtain, what about this? Greed. Isn't greed instead of saying you owe me, saying I owe me? Well, I deserve that. I deserve that. This is mine. This is mine. Bring it in. These are things that battle within our heart, that selfishness that I said that's wrapped in that big package. I should have it. And then even when we look at more so, jealousy. Jealousy saying, God owes me. God owes me. God, how dare you give that person that and not give it to me? You owe me that. We have that mentality as we walk into it, and it's a battle that we fight every day, and it all starts in the heart. And it says this. It goes on. It says, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. I've said it before and I've said it again that it's not about us. We have this desire to, to do and, and get. As a matter of fact, verse 3 talks about it. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly with a selfish heart. And it's about you and you spend it on your passions. Like we're praying to God like he's some giant genie in the sky that's going to produce all the wishes and all the desires that we have. But when it's really not about us, is that what we're supposed to be praying for? Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you guys in here, at some point in time in your life, have had to memorize the Lord's Prayer? I did. Growing up, that was one of the big things you had to do. So let me ask you, why did Jesus teach that to us? 
Why did Jesus take time to teach us how to pray and give us some very specific things in it? How does it start off? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we stop there and we say, what's that saying? Hallowed be your name means holy is your name, means separated are you, which means you're higher than me. I'm not first, you're first. As a matter of fact, the next thing that comes is what? Thy kingdom come. Whose kingdom? Who's thy? Not me, right? That's right. It's God's kingdom come. And what else does he say after that? Your will be done. Thy will be done if we're going King James, all right? It's the, the thy. Once again, it's not about me. What's the next thing that said after that? Your will be done, then what? On earth as it is in heaven. So what's going on here? It needs to be the same thing that's going on up there. Next thing is, is give us. So finally, we've gotten to give us. That it's not about us at the beginning of the prayer. But here, James says, you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions. You're only asking about yourself. But even then, when it says give us, what's it saying to give us? Daily bread, which means what? What we need for today. Give us what we need for today, God. And then forgive us. Because you know what? We fail. And forgive us as we forgive others. That we're not angry with others because wouldn't the you owe me be us forgiving them? Wouldn't that be the answer to it? When it says anger says you owe me, wouldn't us forgiving them be the answer to that? Something to think about. It's not about us. Look at Luke 9, 23 and 24 and we'll get back into James here in a second. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross when? Daily. It is a daily battle to follow. Who are you going to follow, you or him? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's a crazy passage to think about. We could unpack that all on its own. But what I want to do is I want to go back to James. Now, most of you guys are going, I just got to Mark or Luke. So um, the, uh, go back to James, chapter 4. James chapter 4, and starting in verse 6, I'm skipping 4 and 5 for just a second here. But what is the answer to a selfish heart? What is the answer? How do we fix it? The answer is, is we don't. Because we don't, because the answer is found in God's grace. But he gives more grace. God's grace and God's mercy is so much bigger than my anger. It's so much bigger than me, and I'm so grateful that he's, he's forgiving, that he does forgive me when I fall, because I'm telling you, every day I wake up, I battle with this. Gives me more grace. There's no self-help tips here. There's no book that I get to write about it, because God already wrote it. That's how we deal with our anger. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, we see in verses 4 and 5 that we skipped, he says, Why are you so busy following what the world has and being lustful after what the world has instead of following after God? It's God's grace that that shapes our desires, not the world's stuff that shapes our desires. That's why he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And how does he give grace? How do we accept that grace? Well, verse 7 tells us, We submit ourselves, therefore, to God. We submit unconditionally to God all that he is, all that he wants us to be, being submissive to his word. You see, even as we read this, we see it in, man, we start getting a little tense here. Saying, well, you're kind of hitting me right right where it counts. You're you're hitting that heart string and you're strumming it and it's kind of making that vibration all through. And just, 
It's like hitting your funny bone. It just it causes that tenseness. And, and when we get hit with something like anger that we have to deal with, man, it can, it can change everything. So it says sub, submit. And then it also tells us to do something else, to resist. To resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, Satan is at the heart of our fleshly desires. And our fleshly desires are at the heart of our anger. He doesn't force anger on us, but he sure does open up the opportunity for us to, to jump on it. Our anger, to fight, to quarrel, to want it our way. So how do we resist? I'm glad you asked, because verse 8 tells us, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do you see what bookends verse 6 to verse 10? Verse 6 God opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the who? Humble. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you. Humility is it. Being submissive, resisting, drawing near to God. How easy is it for us to draw near to God? It's difficult when we're in the way. When we've built up a wall of our own stuff to draw near to God. It's difficult to submit when we want to be in charge. When we call him Lord, what does Lord actually mean? tough call. Flip over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, the great thing about James, like I said, it ties all together, and all ties together but the fact it's a heart issue. It's right here in the inside. It's not a behavioral list of things that we have to do. It's things that we should do in response because God is changing our hearts. He is killing that anger. He's killing that jealousy. He's killing that greed, and he is putting himself in the place of that. And James 1 it starts off with all the things that I was talking about, with considering it pure joy. And he kind of lays out all this stuff. But then he jumps to a term that says, know this. Just like Jesus said to those people when he said, hear and understand, he's saying, know this. Of all the things you need to hold on to, grasp this. Put it into practice, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do you see that? How often do we walk through that pattern? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It's not anger. It's not greed. It's not lust. It's not jealousy. It is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's gentleness. It's self-control. The anger of man does not produce those things. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness a gentle strength. Don't be a sissy. Meekness doesn't mean sissiness. It means a gentle strength the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. See, with all this, the key to everything that we're talking about right here, it's right at the heart of it. And how do we do it? We have to have a receptive heart. It has to be willing to submit. It has to be willing to resist. It has to be willing to come near to God. And how does that happen? Well, it starts back at chapter one. Because like I said, it all ties together. And James says, if you want to be able to submit, if you want to be able to resist, and you want to be able to, to come near, first thing you have to do is you have to be slow to speak. You have to be slow to get angry. But most of all, you have to be quick to listen. Why would he say be quick to listen? See, you have to have this receptive heart that is willing to listen and allow God in. Why does he say that? Well, back then, there wasn't everybody to say, hey, flip to the book of James because he had the book of James in his hand like the original copy. There wasn't a flip to it. It was, listen to what I have to say and be receptive to it and hear what is going on. And we live in a culture that does not listen well. I think you know that. Most of you have already tuned out. I've gone too long. Um, the, the thing is, is that we don't listen well. 
We live in a society that has 30-second commercials that just blast us, or five-second sound bites, or the microwave, or the fast food, or whatever it is. We are in a hurry. When we come to devotional time, we say this to God. God, speak to me. You have 10 seconds. That, that's our mentality. We stop and we say, oh, God, why, why can't I hear you? Well, it's because you're not listening. It's because you're not listening. So he says, be quick to speak. Do you realize that the Puritans used to sit for three to four hours on any given Sunday and listen to worship, participate in worship, and hear messages? And then they would cook a meal afterwards and hang out together? Because they were quick to listen. They wanted to hear. They wanted to listen to those around them. And how do we be quick to listen? Well, we have to be slow to speak. You have to be slow to speak. Our listening is hampered by, it is congested by our desire to talk. How many times have you been in an argument and had no idea what the other person was actually saying? Because all you were thinking about is how you were going to respond, how you were going to have the, the, the last word, and how you're going to talk over them. And you know what happens when you talk over somebody? Well, they talk over you, and then you talk over them, and all of a sudden there's this like yelling and screaming about a piece of gum. You know, there's whatever it might be, we lose that control because we are not quick to listen and slow to speak. As a matter of fact, Christy last night's like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay, what? She goes, no, I just want to let you know what you talked about tonight. And I went, are you kidding me? You're going to use my message against me right now? You know, that, that's the kind of thing. We don't want to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We want to be quick to speak and slow to listen. We want to have the point. It goes back to that selfishness thing. Larry King once said, I've never learned anything while I was talking. I thought, wow, that is, that is deep for a guy from, on, from CNN. You know, that, that, is, that, is, that is amazing to hear that. But isn't it true? We don't learn anything while we're talking. We're too busy talking, we forget to listen. A receptive heart also has a long fuse. How do we respond when the Bible steps on our toes? How do we respond when somebody else calls us out for what we're doing? I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, and he was talking about something he needed to say to his wife, and he goes, but I don't really want to say it because I just don't want to experience what's to come afterwards. And I said, whew, I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. I mean, because I've been there. You know something that needs to be said, but you don't want to say it for fear of what's going to be said back to you, and so you just kind of let it hang there and let it fester and let it bitterness build around it. We don't like to have our toes stepped on. And maybe you're reading God's word. Maybe you're hearing it preached and it says something that you don't like. How do you respond to that? Do you get up and walk out? Do you get, not, not saying that, seriously. Um, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the whole idea, do you, do you shut down and say, I'm not listening to this anymore and cross your arms and do that kind of thing? You know, we have a long fuse because... The Bible is going to confront us in areas that, that we live in our life that are not right. Because none of us in here are perfect. All of us have areas that need to be confronted. While I was studying, I read this. It said, an angry spirit is never listening or teachable. A teachable heart has stopped fighting angrily against God and instead submits to God. And I went, hey, guess what? That kind of fits in with what James said, that we are supposed to submit to God, to resist the devil and come near to him. Submission, and it all starts in the heart. Proverbs 4.23, long before James was ever around, was written and it said this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. 
If I had one question for you to walk away from today, is this. Have you done a heart check lately? Have you done a heart check lately? This is from the American Heart Association. They have a, you do a heart check for physical health. Have you done one for spiritual health? Have you done a heart check to see, is my life apathetic towards God's word? Because James says we should be quick to hear. Are you, are, are you more apt to, to blah, 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 instead of actually listen? Are you one that's going to say how arrogant you really are? I mean, you're not going to say that, but that's what you're saying. And when you talk, man, I, I struggle with this all the time. I got the answer for that. No, I don't. Just sit and listen. And, and each one of those things is, is the way it all plays out. James says, be slow to speak. And if you're fighting something that, that you really don't like, he also says, be slow to anger. See, every single day, we wake up and we get out of bed. And I thank God for every day that I get to wake up and get out of bed because I've visited a number of hospital rooms that people do not wake up. Or people, when they do wake up, they cannot get out of bed. But I'm not sure if you're grateful for that. Like if I go to Walmart, something like that, and they're like, hey, how are you doing today? I'm like, hey, I woke up and I'm here. And that I'm here could be taken two different ways, I'm sure, being at Walmart. But the, the, the whole thing is, is, is you know, as, as we're, we're thinking about that, we get to wake up every day, but every day we also get to wake up. You know what we also do? We get to have that daily battle of, should I take my cross and follow him, or should I put myself on the throne and be the Lord of my own life? That is a battle we face every day, and it all starts in the heart. It all starts with my selfish desires. But if I am submitting to God, and I am resisting the devil, and I am coming near to him, what a change in our life that will be. See, God knows that we struggle. God knows that we will deal with things. And that's why his grace and mercy and forgiveness flows out constantly on us. But that doesn't mean we get to stay there. He found us where we were at, but he wants us to change. He wants us to be more like him. He wants us to give up anger. He wants us to give up jealousy. He wants us to give up those things and put him in their place. If we're going to be jealous, be jealous for him. If we're going to lust after something, lust after his love and chase after him. If we're going to be angry, be angry about the things that he's angry about. Because when we change our perspective, everything, it's that whole filter thing. When we put on God glasses, it changes everything. It's through the power of God and not our own that we can master anger. It's through his grace and his mercy that we can become all that he wants us to be. But you know where it all starts at? Actually knowing Jesus. Actually knowing Jesus. And you know, it's a term I don't particularly like. But this is where it comes from. Asking Jesus into your heart. Asking Jesus into your heart so he can take over the bitterness and all the things that are already in there, the selfishness and all the things that are in there so he can be the Lord of your life. And it's not just some prayer that because heaven sounds better than hell, because it does. It's not something we say, well, I'd really rather go there, but... Uh, I have to pray this prayer to go, go there, so I'll do that. That's not what it's about. It's about a life change. It's about a throne change. It's about you stepping down and submitting and resisting and coming near to him. Maybe you've never done that. Today's a great day to do it. Today's a great day to meet Jesus and allow him to come in and start working. Guess what? Tomorrow morning, you're not going to wake up less angry. But what you are going to do is you're going to have the realization that if God is in control, and he's the one that is on the throne that I could submit to him, you're going to have less desire to act out that anger and instead start to produce that fruit that he wants us to produce of the love and the joy and the peace and the patience.
this week was a busy, busy week. It was a lot of fun. But Jerome and I, we didn't sit and talk about what songs to do or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I didn't even finish my message until about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. It's terrible of me to do that. Terribly, even probably more to admit. But the, as I did, I was like, oh. I actually texted Jerome, like, how many songs do we even have this week? He's like, oh, we have three. I said, cool. Third song is a song called Inside Out. I want you to listen to the words as you sing this song. Not in vain that we worship him, but as we bring our hearts close to him. Because the words of the song couldn't fit this message any better, and I had no idea we were even singing it until last night when I got here and heard the band practicing it. God has a way of working into us. So I, what I want you to do is I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to, I'm going to be available to pray with you because maybe you're like, I just need somebody to pray with me to, to create that submission. But even more so, if you don't want to pray with me, make this song your prayer, not just empty words, but your prayer that God would change you from the inside out. There's so many things. It starts off with a thousand times before. I failed you, but your mercy remains. I've fallen, but I got caught in your grace everlasting. You're the one that lasts. Nothing else. Everything else fades. I mean, listen to the words. And then they say, God, change me from the inside out. What an amazing prayer to pray as we walk out of here today. Jerome, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the band to come on up. God, you are so good to us. And we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, and it all found in your son, Jesus. The fact that you would send him to us so that we could have eternal relationship with you. What an amazing thought. What an amazing way to kind of look at everything that you've got going on for us, that this giant plan of you sending your son was was for a relationship with each and every one of us. And maybe there's somebody here that doesn't understand that. And their relationship is a battle with themselves every day. Got to pray for them. I pray for me, first and foremost. That God, even when I wake up tomorrow morning, even when I face that situation later on this afternoon, whatever it might be, that God, I respond in your kindness and in your love and in your joy and your patience versus my anger, my selfishness, my bitterness, my greed, my lust, whatever it might be. God, I pray that you're working on us daily from the inside out, that we're not building up walls and keeping you away, but we are submitting to you, that we're resisting the temptation to do everything else and instead coming near to you as you come near to us. Pray it in your name.